0: This is like the secret if anybody's listening and actually wants to do it it is like social growth has been 10x anything else we do for the newsletter. I mean 10x. We basically go from rented platforms aka TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, whatever and we take them to our own platform which is our newsletter.
1: Welcome to Creative Elements, a show where we talk to your favorite creators and learn what it takes to make a living from your art and creativity. I'm your host Jay Klaus. Let's start the show. Hello, my friend. Welcome back to another episode of Creative Elements. This is a really great episode this week that digs into the weeds of social media content strategy and process, and I can't wait for you to hear it. But first, I wanted to share an insight that I had in editing this episode. Last week, I mentioned that I've been working hard to create a home studio that makes recording incredible looking video easy. Well, I'm proud to say that it's all set up, it looks great, it sounds great, I'm super proud of it. I even have some smart outlets that let me turn on things with voice commands. But in editing today's interview, I actually realized that my decision to do the work on my home studio came from this conversation that you're about to hear. To peel back the curtain a little bit on this show, I typically record interviews one to two months ahead of when I air them. So by the time I'm editing an episode, I'm actually re-listening with pretty fresh ears. I usually forget a lot of the specific talking points we had in any given conversation until I'm listening to it in the edit. But I'm noticing that even though I don't specifically remember some of the talking points, they have a noticeable impact on my decisions and behavior, so they must be in there subconsciously. There's a point in this conversation with Cody, today's guest, where she talks about how she built her home studio to lower the friction involved with the creative process. That comment made me think about my own studio, and without getting into the weeds, I had a lot of friction around creating video because of a specific quirk with my camera, a Canon M50 Mark I. So when I was investing in new equipment a couple weeks ago, I decided to invest in a new camera because I knew that it would lower the friction of creating. I didn't realize in that moment that my decision had been impacted by this conversation with Cody Sanchez weeks ago, but it definitely had been. And my point is this the conversations we have with friends, peers, mentors, they often have a much bigger impact than we realize, even if they aren't recorded or we don't remember them. And it's a great reminder that we would be better off if we were more proactive in having those conversations. Okay, I'll step off my soapbox here and tell you about today's guest, Cody Sanchez. Cody Sanchez is what she calls a reformed journalist who became an institutional investor and then a cannabis investor. She joined Vanguard's ETFs business in 2008. She moved to Goldman Sachs, became an SVP at another institutional investing firm tasked with a $3 billion region, and then finally came to First Trust, a $63 billion firm to build the Latin America investment business from the ground up. Don't worry if those names and firms are unfamiliar to you. The point is, she had a very successful career as an investor long before she was building content here. She has an MBA, a PhD, oh, and as a journalist, she received the JFK Award for Print Journalism. But if you have heard the name Cody Sanchez before, it's probably because she has become a prolific content creator and her creative platform has really grown over just the last couple of years.
0: I think I got talked out of being a writer and a journalist because like, that wasn't a reasonable thing to do if you wanted to be happy and married and like have money or whatever. And then this whole explosion of the internet happened. And then I was an investor and it was like the golden handcuffs. I couldn't get away from it. And then I just started creating without the thought of making money. And now it's my favorite thing to do.
1: She's now the founder of her media company and newsletter, Contrarian Thinking, and co-founder of Unconventional Acquisitions in her content Cody helps people think critically and create cash flow unconventionally through what she calls sweaty and boring small businesses.
0: Well, it started really for two reasons. One is our name might give some of it away. I felt like people were losing this ability to question things. As a former journalist and as an investor, which are the two things I sort of consider myself the most important things you can do in either one of those are hard to question. And if you start taking things at face value, you will quickly lose money.
1: Cody has a soft spot for these sweaty and boring businesses because she actually owns more than two dozen of them herself, 26 if her LinkedIn headline is up to date. These businesses include car washes, laundromats, pool service companies, and waste management companies, and as boring as they are, they seem to be making for some pretty popular content for Cody
0: this guy turned little trash into billions wayne Hazinga turned waste management company which is now a 57 billion dollar market cap into that by buying first one old beat up gross trash truck then he made some money on that, scaled up, bought trash companies and created an absolute empire. The theory goes from smelly trash, to boring, he goes on to own sexy businesses like the Miami Dolphins, the Florida Panthers and the Marlins. So what do you learn from this? You don't have to have a ton of money to do M&A, you just scale up and two, maybe you start with the unsexy things to become a billionaire. Follow along, we'll teach you more.
1: Cody's audience numbers are pretty staggering and even more impressive when you take into account that she began the business in December 2019, just over two years ago.
0: Yeah, we're, we're, I think we're over at 150,000 subscribers and probably something like a million total followers across our social platforms.
1: And those numbers are already a little dated because as of this recording, Cody has 815,000 followers on TikTok. 209,000 followers on Instagram, and 123,000 followers on Twitter. So in this episode, we talk about Cody's bet on being a content creator, how she forms opinions, her exact content process and strategy for TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram, why she doesn't recommend Substack, and why contrarian thinking is a skill we all need to hone. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. As you listen, you can find me on Twitter at jklaus or on Instagram at creativeelements.fm. Tag me, say hello, let me know that you're listening, and now, let's talk to Cody.
0: You know, there's this interesting thing in investing, which is, um, Nicholas Nassim Taleb talks about as well, skin in the game. And basically what it means is that most people hold opinions for societal reasons, for you know, moving forward within a corporate sphere, for moving forward, let's say, in a societal sphere, like other people think like this. If I don't think like this, I could have negative repercussions. And because most people hold opinions for those reasons, they don't have skin in the game if those opinions end up being wrong or sideways. Now, if you're an investor, if I hold an opinion and my opinion is wrong, I will have a negative feedback cycle of losing money. And so my opinion that is wrong, I cannot hold for very long and be very good at what I do for a living. And the same thing is true typically, you know, in my realm of thinking for what a journalist is supposed to be which is, you know, if you ask the wrong questions and you have an opinion and it's wrong, you're supposed to be fact-checked and, you know, or fired, really. Um, That would be fraudulent. And so that's why we started contrarian thinking. I was like, we're losing this ability to question. Nobody's doing it. And it might be the single most important thing to our progression as humans. And also if we want to make money. And I think financial freedom leads to all freedom. So that's why I started it. So we can all think together and get rich together.
1: Interesting. Well, most people wouldn't say that starting a newsletter is the fastest way to making a living or making money. And obviously, you know, as an investor, you probably had a ton of options for how you could be spending your time to turn money into more money. So are you saying that the newsletter itself came from a place of almost being mission-oriented, that you wanted to really help people think differently?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I'm Mother Teresa over here, uh, you know, but like, uh, yeah, I mean, I started it because I wanted to do it. And I think everybody has that. You have like that thing inside of you that you can't shut up for the want of everybody in your family wishing that you'd stop talking about it. And, you know, I think we push that down and we cram it in there. And then, you know, we focus on material things because that's cool for everybody else, or we focus on the job because that does the bank account building. And, and I just have this thing inside of me, which like wouldn't shut up and I wouldn't shut up about it. And typically, that tells me that i have to do something with it otherwise it just keeps cycling back and so yeah so my, you know it was mission driven yes because i think it's important but also because i loved this topic and i knew you know you know all about media if you're going to be consistent in anything it's going to be because you are interested in it it's very hard to feign interest and then have consistency with something you're not into
1: yeah totally were you not writing as much in your investment life as you were as a journalist did you miss that
0: yeah you know what actually pissed me off is uh is this a therapy session or is this a podcast <laughs> i would confused um, but uh i remember i was at an investment firm at the time and i was a partner so you know i can kind of do what I want to do in a lot of different ways because I was one of the the main people there. But I had to write these investor updates and these quarterly investment reviews for like, why did I invest in this? You know, why did I make this decision? Whatever. And I'm cool with that. I think you should have transparency and accountability. But what I didn't like is they started to tell me how to write and my style. And they were like, they sent me, I God, I can't remember, but it must have been like something annoying, like Berkshire Hathaway's, you know, thing. And they're like, this is how we want you to write it. Or like Ray Daly, it actually Berkshire's is pretty good. It was like Ray Daly, it was very cut and dry and boring. And I was like, no, no, I'm just, I'm not going to do that. And like, you know, insert F word, if you want to do it, go, go write it yourself. Oh, you can't because you're not a very good writer. That's right. So that's why you come to me is because I'm a good writer. And so I had that like little rebellious 12 year old inside me that was like telling the man to go pound sand. And so at that moment, I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to fight with them every single time about this same thing, or I'm just gonna, I need my outlet somewhere else and it's not gonna be this. And I've already created these constraints for me here, so I'm gonna do this thing over here. And so it started while I was working like 60 hours in private equity, just because, like you said, I wanted to do the thing and nobody would let me do the thing.
1: Are you one of these people who thinks? by writing or do you think about your opinions form the opinion and then write the opinion
0: Mm, that's a good question i think it's actually a mix i don't know about you but every time i start writing i usually start reading so i'll start like unless i like run around and i'm like brilliant idea everybody shut up gotta write it down right now I will usually be like, I want to get into the flow because I, I think, I can't remember who it says, but it's like creativity is basically bogus and like inspiration is bogus and you just have to create inspiration for yourself. And so I make myself write every single day. And now it's a joy that I get to write. It used to be I make myself write. But when I'm in that, hey, it's my writing time, I'll pick up a great book you know, that I love and I'll start by reading somebody's words that I think are better than mine. And then that will spur a bunch of thoughts and then I'll have topics sort of figured out and I'll take their like beautifully written words into topics that I kind of want to go and then rabbit holes ensue. But when I'm thinking about something intensely, yes, like my, one of my partners in one of my businesses on conventional acquisitions, Ryan, he likes to talk through ideas and I want to kill him. I'm like, I don't, this is, it does nothing for me. <laughs> you got to find a, a girlfriend or something to talk about your ideas with because I, if we're actually going to brainstorm, I need quiet and like a pin and a candle.
1: I love that. You've mentioned the word opinions here a couple of times and asking questions i would love to understand in your day-to-day life how you actively keep that front of mind and the reason i'm asking that is i find myself just often opting out of having opinions at all like most of the time Mm -hmm. i just don't have an opinion on, on anything until someone says what's your opinion on this and then i start processing like okay if you're gonna ask me for my opinion i guess i better start thinking about it so i'm curious if you have a different way of approaching the world to force yourself to take a stance on things
0: I, there's this um, saying that I've always liked, which is that you should always have a competition of ideas going on in your head. And that goes back to that old adage of, you know, strong opinions loosely held, right? And so I have a lot of opinions, but I don't die on the sword for them. I'm very, I mean, just today, it was a contentious issue that we saw on a news outlet. What well, will well, i say Joe Rogan's new interview with Robert Malone who's like a kind of a contentious virologist, he got kicked off of Twitter. And so I sent it to a friend on the left and I sent it to a friend on the right. And I said, what do you think about this? And then, you know, both of them came back to me with something or other. And I said, well, give me a source that says credible in this section is this one and same thing in this one. And then I said to both of them, I'm not interested in being right. I'm much more interested in learning the truth. And so the the way that opinions form to me are just this, it's a journalistic urge to find the truth and then once I think I've found the truth in that instance, whatever it is, then I like to share it. And it's basically a way to stress test my truth. And it probably stems from the fact that I think one of the most powerful things that I can glean always is information. And information categorized and organized towards action is really just an opinion, right? So if you just have information, but you don't take any action on it, then it's not an opinion. It's just a fact, right? Or it's a statistic or it's a whatever. And so that's sort of how I think about the world. But yes, I don't think there's a dearth of opinions. I don't think people are running around like, I think nothing. And like let me throw a few angry buzzwords in the mix, you know, for no reason. I think lots of people have opinions. I wish we just let them fight. I wish we treated our minds like boxing rings, you know? And we were like, I want to build an exceptional boxing ring, And then whichever boxers are in there fighting, awesome. Go go at it. But my ring is going to be meticulous.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I believe people have very strong opinions, but it doesn't seem to me that we are forming them independently as often, which is like Mm -hmm. great news and opportunity for creators and influencers and people running media companies. But also, like you said, like pretty scary that people, you know, they have their trusted sorts of this. and. Their opinion is now my opinion. I put it on like a jacket.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> I've heard you uh, in the research I was doing, I was listening to some other interviews that you've done and you just mentioned, you know, you texted your friend on the left and your friend on the right. It always seems like you have friends that you spar these ideas with. Do you do that because you want to create content around it? Or did you naturally have that behavior before you're even creating content?
0: Yeah, I think that's been a natural, you know, when I was younger, my parents had four chairs in our living room and a lot of, people circle around the dining table perhaps is where like your family hung out or maybe in front of the tv watching football everybody usually has a familial nucleus that's physical and ours were these four armchairs my brother myself my mom and my dad and we what we would do for hours which we kind of joke about now is we would just talk about things i I like this i know that's a ridiculous idea i like this one what do you think about that one And so that sort of came naturally to me and i am hugely uninterested in Talking about people like, oh, did you see? She did this and this. Don't care, you know. Like, oh, the weather. So uninterested. And so, what instead intrigues me is this search for for knowledge and truth. I had no idea other people would be interested in it. I, like, honestly, people are like, what's your content strategy? And I'm like, well. I've tried to do the avatar thing, right? Like this is who I serve. And then I've tried to do the, you know, here are like demographics and whatever. And then what I always end up doing is just creating the stuff that I think is interesting. Usually the stuff that I think is interesting, people will think is interesting. And the second I try to copy somebody else or I try to do something because it's trending or whatever, it's, it's embarrassing. It totally flops. So yes, I think I've always had that. But I think everybody has that. And, it, and the problem with most of us, why we can't create content like that is because what do we do? We mouth off every time telling everybody else our opinions instead of shutting up and listening to your landscaper. This is ridiculous. People won't be able to see this on the podcast. Like, look at this ridiculous thing. So this is this like, looks like
1: a Freddy Krueger situation.
0: <laughs> it's like a, like a, like a Wolverine. It's a legitimate Wolverine, like three pronged metal thing that you like hold in between your three fingers. Like you would not want to come into my office right now. We'd have all the questions. And the reason I have this ridiculous thing is that uh, I befriended our landscaper who's been working for us. We're redoing our backyard and his name's Maverick and he only has one tooth in the front and it kind of wiggles when he talks and he's all tattooed up and we've gotten to know each other and he uses this in the yard. And so he's this really kind of scary looking guy with a huge knife and he gave it to me. And the reason why is because I sh- I he doesn't know anything about me. But I sit down and like, t- hear his stories. So I think a lot of people think about how to create content from your ideas. And my best conf- content is often not my own
1: ideas. Yeah, totally. Or sometimes it's, for me, I find that it's my ideas that I don't express until somebody asks. So sometimes I like doing interviews simply because then I can write down the answers to questions someone else asks because I, I forget that's interesting to other people.
0: Totally, totally agree.
1: After a quick break, Cody and I dive deep into both her process and strategy for dominating social media. And later, we talk about her paid community and how she would change her approach if she started over. So stick around and we'll be right back. Welcome back to my conversation with Cody Sanchez. If you followed Cody's content on social media, you know that she loves to talk about buying boring businesses, things like car washes, RV parks, and laundromats. She can create content about those businesses because she owns them herself. In fact, she owns more than two dozen. So I asked her how she divides her time between content creation and her time investing in businesses.
0: Yeah, today, for the first time ever, and I've been investing for, I don't know, 13, 14 years, something like that, I'm doing more content creation. And that really switched probably the latter half of last year. So it's been maybe six months that it's been like this. Um, But previously, you know, I was almost always doing deals, investing, buying businesses, selling businesses, looking at balance sheets, whatever. And I'm pretty decent at it, but I really like the content business. So 2022, my focus is sort of doing more of the stuff that I'm interested in. And content, I think, is the most interesting thing that almost any of us could be doing right now. Why is that? Well, it goes back to Naval, I think, was the first one who talked about this, but the four forms of leverage. So basically, he gives three forms, I add the fourth. So he says, which I find to be historically correct, there are four types of leverage. The first type of leverage that was created was labor. That used to be slaves, then it was serfs, then it was employees, right? So if I was a pharaoh, I had a lot of leverage because I have a bunch of servants and they have to build pyramids for me, right? Then the second type of leverage that came out was capital. And so capital came out during the banking reform in the U.S., which is right when the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and those big names became titans of industry. Why? To create a huge energy company, you need money. You need other people's money, a.k.a. capitalist leverage. The third type of leverage was code. And that was created by, you know, on the the, the breadth of the internet, right? So we have the Bezos and the Musks and the Gates all created their empires based off a little army of code working for them online. And then the most recent type of leverage, I think, is audience. And audience is essentially a different type of employee. It's like people working for you for free, platforms working for you for free. And so as a financial sort of person or investor by trade I'm always interested in the lever points how do I do less work but have more input right how do I take less risk but get a higher return and so that it right now is, is content in my opinion and anytime you have a new form of leverage you know to the the first go the spoils and so I think now is the time to double down on it
1: I love those thank you for sharing those four pillars totally agree with adding audience in there part of me thinks well that probably existed when Hearst was doing newspapers. You know, like, audience isn't completely new. Do you think we're in a notably different time with audience as a leverage point?
0: Yeah, I think, um, so audience existed before, but I still think it wasn't the main pillar. It wasn't, so even when Hearst, and, and you could say, like, you go all the way back to the, you know, the Gutenberg press, right? I think the the difference today is that That was still such a political game, right? So you had to actually have distribution rights that were allocated inside of cities. It was a capital-intensive game. And today, you don't have to have any of that. It's like democratized in the same way that you had code pre-the internet, right? You had like hard wiring of code that you could do in varying types of super large computers. But it wasn't so democratized. And today, I'm not sure it's ever been so democratized. and Maybe they'll just continue to, but that would be the difference.
1: Means of creation have gotten a lot cheaper.
0: Means of creation, absolutely. And the means of distribution. You know, it would be very hard previously. I mean, could you imagine a newspaper going, quote unquote, viral and having millions of views within a weekend? Like that would be really tough. They'd have to distribute the actual newspaper to millions of people.
1: Well, part of the reason I, I got really excited to talk to you is because you started Contrary thinking beginning of 2020. And I marked an interview that you did with Nick Loper on the Side Hustle Show, and that was about eight months in, and you had gone from zero to 55,000 subscribers and about $50,000 in revenue. Then you talk to Nathan Barry in March of 2021, or 102,000 subscribers,
0: which is wild. When you say that, I kind of forgot we we did that. I guess we should we should take a pause sometimes and reflect.
1: <laughs> it is wild, and you know, to, to reflect back some of the other things that maybe listeners don't know: 103,000 followers on Twitter, 64,000 on Instagram, 527,000 followers, 52700,0 followers on TikTok. How much do those platforms feed the growth of the newsletter? And is that the central point that you're trying to move people towards?
0: Yeah. I mean, this is like the secret if anybody's listening and actually wants to do it is like social growth has been 10x. Anything else we do for the newsletter? I mean, ten x. We basically go from rented platforms, aka TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, whatever, and we take them to our owned platform, which is our newsletter. It's the only platform that we can own outright, right? Where I can control the distribution. Nobody can say the algorithm changed and X and Y and Z. Theoretically, Google could, I guess, kind of mess with it. So that's been the entire growth strategy, at least for the past like nine months or something. Since we focused on it, pre that it was. It was tough. You know, I was like putting LinkedIn messages into message group and trying to get Facebook groups to grow, et cetera. But right now, all social funnels to the newsletter. And the only way we monetize is through paid products and a community on the newsletter. And maybe someday we'll do ads and sponsorships, but man, I'm I'm nervous about that because of the incentive alignment. And I want my customers to be my customers. I don't want to have a third party shadow figure as a main customer. So I'm, I'm messing with that a little bit right now.
1: If I'm listening to this, I'm simultaneously encouraged that in 2022, there's still opportunity for me to build an email newsletter and terrified because how can I, as a solo creator, also maintain TikTok, Instagram, Twitter? How would you encourage someone to think about that if they're getting started? Would you go on all three platforms? Would you prioritize one of them?
0: So I have two minds on this. Well, first of all, for the first year and a couple months, I did it all by myself while working. So like one, I would say, yeah, do I work a lot? 100% admittedly. And, you know, do I think that I have maybe developed the skill and muscle? Perhaps more than most, that I just hammer out content. Yes, I do think that's a truth. That said, like, we're not curing cancer here. This isn't rocket science. Like, I'm not that smart. So, I think it's totally doable for anybody. Maybe not this speed, but maybe. So, I would say I started with, I had some, a little bit of a following on Instagram, like 10,000 or something. I don't even know. And so, I, find Instagram to be the hardest to grow by spades. Instagram's super hard and it's an established platform. I can't really figure out how to grow quickly on there. TikTok's a wild card and a half. I think if I was a creator today, starting a newsletter, I would write the newsletter consistently and I would do TikToks because the virality inherent in TikTok is wild. That said, I think it's hard to make people love you on TikTok. In 30 seconds, you almost come off as like a little bit You know, it's like, hey, how did you make $10,000 in five minutes doing nothing? You know, and then it's like, oh, of course that went viral. But like, "Ah," you know, so I think for virality, TikTok's great. I think for making people love you, Twitter is is better. Uh, I think YouTube, that's a platform we're going to do this year. I'm the most interested in. It's the most like this podcast too, but I think podcasts are hard to grow. So good for you. And then Twitter makes people respect you, I think, because you show a lot of, you can show a lot of numbers and detail. So I guess, Think about it from your perspective. What are you What do you better at? You know, can you do long form video easier and get people to love you that way than do YouTube? You know, can you do like short, quick, pithy little videos? Try TikTok. Plus, no, no production value. Whatever, you could just put your phone in front of your face like this. And then, if you like to write and share more numbers and details and do threads, do Twitter. I think you can start with one. Don't stay with one though, because there's too much possibility for algorithm changes or for you to do something that one of the platforms doesn't like and them to take you off, especially as you get bigger.
1: On the point of controlling distribution, I know you started your newsletter on Substack. And I think today it's on ConvertKit. Yes. And I know you had like an issue with Substack. Um, And we don't have to get in the nitty gritty of that if you don't want to. But I would love to hear how you would encourage people thinking today about which EMS to start with, who have heard about Substack to think through that decision.
0: You know, I think Substack and Ghost are fine for people to start on. I just think that to charge 10% of your subscription revenue for a glorified Squarespace, WordPress-hosted website is a joke. And that's what Substack does. And then what they did to me, I was so surprised. They basically shut off our Substack without telling us, without warnings, without anything, because we had products that weren't running through Substack. And I am an entrepreneur multiple times over. I invest in a ton of businesses, so I hate to give shit to uh, founders. It's like a hard enough business. But the way they handled it was so atrocious. I think their head of marketing only got back to me on Twitter after I posted a thread that got tens of thousands of views and their investors started tagging them. And the first thing she DMs me on Twitter was like, this emoji, you guys can't, you guys can't see it, but I'll explain it to me. Like the, oh my gosh, face with two hands across your head. And then like the cover of my mouth with one hand face. And then like a bright red face and was like, I heard what happened to your substack. I'm like, am I in fantasy land? How is this how you are reaching out to me right now? She's like, I bet that was annoying. I'm like, annoying. I'll show you annoying. And so anyway, I don't like when people mess with creators because it's so hard to be a creator, actually, even though it's like, oh, woe is me. You know, people are working in the fields, but it is, it's a hard thing. And thankfully, I have other income streams that that didn't really matter to me. However, I now have people who work for me that rely entirely on the revenue from this business. I don't take any money from this business right now. I only pay my team and put the rest towards growth. But imagine that this was my actual business and that I had people that needed to make money from it and they just shut off your business. Okay, so that's my warning. Be careful about using those sites. Yet, when you first start out, they're great because it's super easy. I'd go with Ghost over Substack because they don't have that likelihood or tendency. But then eventually you need to build your own platform, in my opinion, even though it sucks and I hate building it. and I wish that I could just use Substack.
1: Are you saying if I'm doing a newsletter and I'm going to commit to TikTok, I'm basically doing a 30 to 60 second, let me hit the highlights of what I wrote this newsletter about? So you're repurposing in that way?
0: I do try to repurpose everything. You'll notice my content across all platforms echoes. You know, it doesn't mimic But yes, if you're creating one incredible newsletter, mine are pretty long, and you're not turning it into five to 10 pieces of content, then you probably are driving yourself crazy. So I like to go and learn platforms as they go. So I might start with like, okay, I'm going to get kind of obsessed with Twitter. And I might hire an intern to do the posting for me or get a scheduler like Buffer or something like that. I use Hype Fury for Twitter, much better than any other platform. TikTok, we post natively because that actually helps a lot. Instagram, we schedule out with Buffer. And uh, the newsletter, we created our own website, but we use ConvertKit on the back end. And so I try to schedule out as much as possible. But yes, repurpose your content 100%. But for TikTok, you kind of got to throw the newsletter out of the equation in my mind, as far as like the summary or whatever. I think you just need to watch TikTok pretty intensely for like two weeks. It's not, you know, probably not great for your mental health, but just consume a bunch of it, tag the videos that you like, and then start asking yourself this question. How could this viral video apply to what I do? How could this viral video apply to what I do? Save all of those and then go try to make those viral videos something about your underwater basket weaving newsletter,
1: right? And are you doing the creation of all those video assets yourself? Because they look great. You even have cut-ins of illustrations and things. Uh, Are you doing that editing yourself?
0: No, not now. No way. I would definitely not be able to keep up with that. But, you know, our team's super lean. And I think, you know, I'm probably the exception here. So with about a million person audience across it, which really ballooned over the last, let's call it three months, not that many people do multiple platforms. So you do not have to do it. Like Anthony Pompliano, he really dominates YouTube and Twitter. That's it. That's all he does. And YouTube's newer for him and Twitter he's been a killer at forever. So you can totally pick your platform. TikTok, I have pretty edited videos on there, but a lot of people just hold up their phone and edit in the app. It's just not, I'm like, a, I'm 35. So I'm like slightly past the age where I'm pretty good at that kind of shit.
1: So you're creating the asset and then uploading it to TikTok.
0: So basically what I do now for TikTok, it's, I almost treat TikTok like YouTube. So we have a workflow, all of our workflows go in Notion. You know, I go from like idea to a developed script to a ready to film script. Then I film them. Then I take that script and I give it to our editing team. It's a a, a one guy team. And he and I basically wrote like, I'll kind of write a little guideline for everything I do. It'll say like, here's what a Cody TikTok video looks like. So take any of these videos and make them look like a Cody TikTok video. Um, And then I batch the content creation once a week. So I film once a week.
1: Got it. What's your film day look like?
0: Well, there's a lot to be desired now. We're trying to figure this out, but um, I'm looking at my office right now. There's like a camera. So you probably know this, but when it comes to heavy content creation and like turning your content into a business. So like you do not have to start like this, but let's say you want to make that, you know, million dollar content business. It's all about, in my mind, decreasing friction to creation. The more friction or more difficulty it is to create, the less you're going to do it. Even if the friction is five minutes. So I have like a camera that's looking me in the face right now. I have like littered all around here, like, you know, little tripod things that all like stick in other different locations that are like easily accessible to grab. I have a ring light that I just like flip on. It's 20 bucks from Amazon. All this stuff is like 20-ish bucks from Amazon. I have like a little... What is this? What is this called? Like a...
1: Lavalier microphone.
0: Yeah. And it plugs into your phone, 20 bucks on Amazon too. And so all this stuff is kind of like sitting right here. And um, on film day, I will... You know how you go to write a newsletter? I try to write same time every single week and when inspiration hits, but same time every week. It's a job. And I do the same thing with scripts. So I'll have one day a week where I write a bunch of different scripts for TikTok and now YouTube, and I'll take those scripts and we'll hammer through them in a day. And I want to get more creative and do vlog style and stuff. So that'll happen going forward. But for right now, it's, you know, point and shoot and kind of execute.
1: You're saying we, when you say we hammer through them, do you have somebody there helping you?
0: Yes. When I film now, I have a videographer. His name's Samuel. He's awesome. And, you know, you don't have to start like a lot of my friends who are big creators. They don't have a set videographer. Again, I like to decrease time to friction and video is not my most native tool. So I'm like kind of obsessed with the production of it. I, I think of myself as the executive producer, like almost like when you think about a movie, you know, you don't have Spielberg actually filming. Oh my God, did I just compare myself to Spielberg? Gross. <laughs> anyway. I love it. Um, I love it. You, you know, you don't have the, the director sitting behind the camera all the time doing all the different things. They're kind of thinking at like a high level, they're storyboarding, whatever. And then you have the real specialist who's like, what if we then, you know, make yeah. it look like you're jumping out of the ocean. And so that I think is the difference.
1: I love that. Thanks for going into the weeds with me here on some of this because even though this is, you know, several steps ahead of where probably the the average listener is at, I think it's good to know what you're aiming towards several steps down the road. And you know, we've covered a lot of the like how to get your first 100 people on here, which is super valuable, very 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 necessary, but I like to go into the weeds especially with someone who's done this. So recently, because, you know, I had Tim Urban on the show and Tim's awesome. You know, he had a similar approach where he says, I write for a stadium full of Tim's. I started to realize that like, goes like, okay, my like weird interests, like a lot of people have those same interests, you know, this isn't, uh, and so th- this is like the beginning of me being like, okay, if I if I some, find something fascinating. I'm going to assume there's a stadium of Tim's out there who are going to agree exactly. And I just started doing exactly what I wanted to write about, like what I was interested in, regardless of viral. Stop stop thinking about going viral. Stop. And now it was just trying to delight the current people that were there. And I was just trying to do that by following my own interests. But he hit Facebook in 2014 when Facebook was trying to push content. Like, we can't do that today. <laughs>
0: totally. I also don't trust people that are like, Ugh. I just went viral on here. Like, I don't even know what happened. The video just got huge. And then my newsletter had millions of subscribers. The next thing you know, you know, it's I'm on Oprah. And so, you know, when there are people that say stuff like that, I'm like, no way. Like you were in your basement hammering away at 2am in the morning, like the rest of us. So I think it's like good to be honest about the fact that if you want to be a content creator, it's a blast. I love what I do. But like, it is a job. That's why I share all this stuff because most of the people listening are never going to do any of this. Even if I gave you the login to everything that I do, that's like a 1%, you know?
1: Yeah. I've, I've thought about creating a series of courses on like, why not to create an online course? Why not to do a newsletter? Because I feel like if I can talk you out of doing it, you're welcome for saving you for the, the time of trying. Like you need to that's tell me to pound sand. That's should That's a good idea.
0: You, <laughs> should, you should do that. You should totally do that.
1: (laughs) When we come back, Cody and I talk about her Twitter strategy, how she would build a community if she started over today, and her feelings on subscription memberships, right after this. Hey, welcome back. A little bit earlier, Cody told us that social growth has been 10x more effective for growing the contrarian thinking newsletter than anything else. I wanted to get a little bit into the weeds here because it makes sense to build an audience on social media and then port them over to a platform that you actually own and can communicate with more reliably. But how does that porting happen? So I asked Cody how much intention she puts into calls to action from her social media posts to subscribe to the newsletter.
0: On Instagram, we're pretty good at doing that. We do that quite a bit. Like it's in my little link up top. In the captions, they're talking about it quite a bit. It looks like something like maybe one out of three times, one out of five times, something like that. We tell people to go subscribe. You know, on Twitter, we probably post about it once every other day or something like that. Go subscribe, try to do it in a creative, cute way. And then on TikTok, pretty much every time, we're like, if you want more information, there's a free newsletter, the link in the bio. And you know, I try to think about it like a service. Since most of the stuff we do is free, like 99.9% of the stuff we do is free. It's not like I'm, you know, trying to hump them over to $10,000 products, you know? It's, uh, it's where the actual answers to their questions are. But maybe one other thing I'd just say is like, do not feel bad about charging people for things. The entire reason like the media is so screwed up right now is because we have bad incentives because people thought they were getting free products. And as we learned, when a product is free, you are the product. And so ugh, this one is hard for me. I still, like people will, people are nasty on the internet. And so they'll say things like, oh, this is a scammer. It's a course and other you know? And I'm like, you know, and I'm always asking myself, is that true? Is there any part of this that I'm posting to be, contentious to get more people to buy our stuff and we try I try to be really careful about that and I don't think that that that's true I think in fact you should charge for things and it's in the best interest of the people because guess what they'll ask for a refund if it's not good And that is what you should do. You should get a refund if something's not good instead of have to refund all the ideas that have been put into your head by people that just had bad biases due to advertising. So charge it for your product and whatever you think the price is that you're going to charge for your product, charge more.
1: So good. Uh, I want to get to the paid newsletter here shortly. But before I get off of the topic of social media, how do you think about threads as part of your Twitter strategy? Is that core to your strategy i see that you have a lot of them but you also have a lot of single tweets yeah put in here
0: well single tweets are 100x easy maybe not 100 they're 10x they're 20x
1: probably easier <laughs> somewhere than between a 10 and 100x easier
0: <laughs> yes exactly and not only that but like i have a team that will help me think up ideas for tweets and we're we kind of like i think about it a little bit like um, like we try to be like you know how they talk about Saturday Night Live? Like they get together in a room, they like eat a bunch of donuts and drink bad coffee and like throw stuff at each other and think about what's going on. That's what me and my team try to do. And so I try to do that with, with tweets and stuff that we're doing. That's really easy to do with everything except threads. Threads to me are like an art form. And I have tried to have other team members write them and it's a night, it never works out even when I give them the whole thing. I haven't perfected that yet. And yet, I think threads are... 95% of the way to grow on Twitter. Threads done well.
1: That's why I asked. That was my assumption. And I was like, I wonder, I wonder if you could validate that.
0: Yep, yep. I'm, I'm even considering like getting rid of the one-off tweets because they just don't do as well. But then you become like that person who just posts threads all the time. It's kind of annoying too. So I don't know.
1: You said in the last three months, things have really ballooned. I've had this assumption that there's some sort of audience escape velocity to where it starts to really self-perpetuate. Do you believe that? Have you seen that? Or do you have any evidence to the contrary?
0: Yes, 100%. I mean, I'm sure that you can have pullbacks if your content gets uninteresting. But at large, yes. For a long time, nobody cares, nobody cares, nobody cares. Then even less than nobody cares, you decrease sometimes, then you get up a little bit, then you decrease again. And that's totally normal, at least in every business that I've built. But then you get to a certain level where... If you're doing it right, people are interested consistently. They're bringing other people along. And it's almost like despite yourself. Um, The only time I've seen that not always work is, you know, TikTok, for instance, because it it plays to such virality, you'll have massive spikes. Whereas once you grow on something like Instagram or Twitter, you kind of just keep growing and you'll have like some other spikes, but you won't have a ton of like way down. Nobody cares. TikTok's not like that. TikTok, you could have like, you know, 10,000 views, and then you could have 11 million views. And it they don't really care who you are. And so I do think that's true. That said, though, even once you start getting big and you grow massively, you'll still notice that on some channels you're like, ah, we're done with growing over here and we're not growing over here. Or maybe this is just me. This is what I do. And I'm always thinking about how could we tweak better for the channels for growth.
1: On the topic of you shouldn't be afraid to charge for your stuff, you have a paid version of uh, the newsletter now, which isn't actually a paid version of the newsletter. It's actually... A community and different types of content. I would love to talk about that decision, how you thought through it, and specifically pricing and in the value proposition that you're making.
0: Yeah. So I don't know if I do it the same way again, honestly. It's too cheap. So right now it's like depends on when you post this, but it's like $399 for a year. And it includes a playbook a month on passive income streams. So like My belief is you need to have multiple income streams in order to reach true financial freedom that's stabilized and moated. And so every single month we come out with a new passive income stream. We write a playbook on it, which is a long form newsletter, plus a bunch of templates and other stuff. And then we put it in a vault for you. And then we have a community on Facebook where we talk about all this stuff. And then we have a weekly call. That is way too much for $399 a year. It's a lot, yeah. Way too much. So what we actually should have is that product is going to go up in price and they were going to charge $1,500 or something for it. So we're going to end up charging $1,500 for that product. And then we're going to have sort of like an intro, Hey, if you want to get to know Cody and country and thinking of what we do, here's a l- less expensive, you know, $99, $200 product or something that you can, you know, what's your whistle with? If you don't like us, no harm, no foul. If it doesn't work, you move on or you take a bigger bite of the pie. But I was so worried about underserving and asking for even $5 from the audience and them not liking it at first. that I was like, well, we'll give them this, and then we'll give them this, and then we'll give them this, and we'll, give them this and we'll give them this. And that's a disservice. So we should have, we should have you know, made it simpler probably.
1: Yeah. I had a similar thought recently. I've been eat, sleeping and breathing community memberships last year, working with Pat Flynn and the, the smart passive income team. And I'm coming to realize that in the world of community, you should really be looking for like a minimum viable promise. Like what is the minimum I can promise you that you are excited to buy into? Not so I can not deliver anything else on top of that, but because then it's not an expectation. You don't have to like exhaust yourself, fulfilling 10 bullet points that you promised.
0: Exactly. Yep. I think you're exactly right.
1: The challenging thing for um, somebody who's listening to this, who might not have the level of scale that you do, who wants to build a similar modeled product where community is a component Community is about the people and pricing on that is really hard because you have to get a critical mass of people in there at the same time to start or the thing dies on the vine. How did you think about community as a a part of your membership here? Why was that important to what you're building?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would actually not build a community until you have more scale. I wouldn't do it super, super early because exactly if the term community itself basically means that you have other people that are able to sustain your community without you. Otherwise it's just a dictatorship, you know? And so I actually wouldn't go community upfront again. I would go product, I would go like a course, or like a little sprint or a challenge or whatever it is, I would sell something so that you can pay yourself for the time to keep creating. I think that's really important because it's easy to burn out, especially if you're making no money and then you gotta pay for things, and then that's not great. So I would start with something like that. You can do it on Gumroad, super cheap, you could just think Coursera, whatever. And then as people start getting into it, then I would start thinking about a community. But what I probably would do up front is overcharge for the community. Like hey, we're going to do it. It's going to start. It'll be a really small group and it's more expensive. Now, you know, it'll eventually get bigger. And so, you know, maybe the price goes down, uh, but those people get lifetime memberships or something like you can play with it a lot of ways. But just imagine the beginning, you know, if one to 3% of your followers convert, which is typically what happens, then that's your community. And maybe the only flip side to that is, Charge an expensive product upfront, you know, charge a, a $1,000, $2,000, whatever product. So you only need a few of them and you get enough money in the game to then do other things. Because once you start to community, like if it's open-ended, you got to keep going.
1: I'm worried that creating a paid recurring product that I have to deliver on will start to make me burned out on being accountable to delivering that to paying customers every month. Do you feel any tension there or are you a wellspring of ideas and this isn't a problem?
0: Well, I mean, I was an investment banker, so just like my pain tolerance for work is relatively high. I do think that's probably part of it. I don't mind working like an idiot all the time. But yeah, I think that is something to be thoughtful of. That's why I like one-off products to start that don't rely exclusively on you. Otherwise, you have to build a team. Like I know... When I have a mastermind call that I do each week, and but I have a partner that's on that with me. So there's a lot of weeks where I'm not on that call because I need space and I need time to think about it. And then for the country and cashflow group that we have, there's four calls a month. So every other week two. but two of those, I'm not on it. One of them's an interview that my other team member does, and one of them's a member spotlight. So like the members talking amongst themselves. And so I try to, to build that into that so that I can keep giving them the best stuff as opposed to just the most stuff.
1: Yeah. I guess it's not that different than being advertiser supported either though. It's actually probably harder to be advertiser supported because my advertisers don't care if I want to take next week off. They probably have zero forgiveness. Whereas the listeners, the fans are probably be like, yeah, you need a week off to take care of your puppy who's tearing the shit out of your hands. Like do that, Jay. Uh, so I guess it's probably, it's probably the smarter way anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think so. And I think advertisers, you've always got to chase them, right? Theoretically, like, I mean, I would maybe do long-term partnerships with people eventually that are really set, but I don't want to have to convince people like advertising all the time that they need to pay the certain amount for me, I would much rather build an audience that is naturally unconvincing convincing them to convert, as opposed to it's almost like you're building a whole new audience and advertisers. That's kind of hard.
1: So how are you thinking about the future? Because you strike me as somebody who loves to build new, explore new ideas. Now you have this machine that just to sustain it is a lot of input. So how are you thinking about the future of this business?
0: I'm pretty good about processes and operators. So one of the things about running as many businesses as I do is I, you know, I realize very quickly where I am not so good. And so I am, you know, with we have one business on conventional acquisitions, which is where we teach people to buy businesses. My partner, Ryan, runs that whole thing. I film some content for it. I show up to the weekly mastermind call because they're all really interesting humans and I get content ideas from it. And besides that, I don't do anything. You know, I have a call with him a week. And so that's that business. Then contrarian thinking, the reason that I think it keeps working is like your friend Tim said, it's it's only what I care about doing. If I'm not interested in it, we're not doing it. And so, you know, compare that with like my other friend Sam Parr, who built the hustle. His business was probably easier to sell because his face wasn't associated with it at all. And yet he had a machine that he had to keep feeding with what the machine wanted. Whereas mine, I was like, I want to write this week on potato farming in Idaho or I want to write on women's rights. I don't care. Like it's going to be what happens. And so those are two business models. You just get to pick your poison. So good. Yeah. Go out and create and, you know, connect with me. And, um, if, if there's something that you're creating, I want to hear about it. I always think it's really cool to see what this next level of leverages will build.
1: We covered a lot of ground in this episode and it got me so fired up to see just what is possible with a concerted effort in a short period of time. Cody's audience growth is so impressive and so aspirational and she's only been building her creative platform for just over two years. But don't forget about the 15 years of real world investing experience that Cody had before she got into content creation. I know how attractive and alluring it is, the idea of building a massive audience, but massive audiences tune in because there's something very unique for them to hear. And those insights come from experience, which obviously Cody had in spades. If you wanna learn more about Cody, you can visit her website contrarianthinking.co or find her at Cody Sanchez on social media. Links to all of her accounts are in the show notes. Thanks to Cody for being on the show. Thank you to Emily Klaus for making the artwork for this episode thanks to nathan todd hunter for mixing this show and brian skeel for creating our music if you like this episode you can tweet at j klaus and let me know and if you really want to say thank you please do please do say thank you please leave a review on apple podcasts or spotify thanks for listening and i'll talk to you next week universe.